This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. We have still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Build Our Future podcast. Uh, today, actually, I'm really excited to have Daryl and Jesse um, all the way from Ottawa uh, joining us on today's episode. They are a part of CSV Architects. Daryl, Jesse, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. Uh, now, you know, it's I always enjoy having interior design, uh, interior designers and architects because, you know, contrary to popular belief, you know, we're not at each other's throats all the time on on a construction project. It happens from time to time. But uh, can uh, can each of you share us uh, share with our listeners a little bit more about yourselves and your kind of journey to this point? Uh, sure. Yeah, I can. I'll I'll start. Yeah, originally from from Hamilton, actually. So I grew up in Hamilton and uh, came to Ottawa for uh, university, Um, went through too many years of university and then met my future wife, got a job here and and uh, eventually I worked my way into, um, you know, being one of the the principals at CSV Architects. So it's kind of uh, a little bit linear that way. But yeah, all the way from Hamilton uh, here up in Ottawa. Now in Ottawa. And Jesse, how about you? I'm originally from um, just outside Thunder Bay, Ontario, so a little bit farther away. It's a little bit. <laughs> but I've, uh, I'm similar to Daryl. I, I decided that architecture was for me pretty early on. Moved to Ottawa to go to school. Uh, we both went to Carleton University. Did my, uh, my two degrees here. Studied uh, a little bit of wood architecture in Finland for uh, half a year. And then came to Ottawa, I got a job at CSV as an intern and uh, never left. <laughs> oh, wow. So you guys have been like, have been there for a little while. So uh, obviously there was something about CSV that you guys really, really gravitated towards. Like when you joined, what was CSV about? Like how have they kind of evolved with time? I and mean, we'll get into a little bit more of the details because I'm, it's a, it's a topic I'm really interested in that, that you guys focus on. But back when you guys joined, like how was it? What was that process like? I actually joined as a student uh, working for one of the predecessor firms as CSV was forming. So I'm, I'm kind of been here from the, from the get-go. I, I'm quickly becoming the old guy around here. Um, so, so D- Daryl, do, do you want to date yourself and put some years to that? Or uh, <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of talk about Y2K. Let's just okay. say that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so it was, it was just forming at the time and really starting to try and figure you know figure itself out as an organization but yeah it's grown since and it was probably in around 2008 kind of just around when the time i became an associate here that uh, we made the big kind of decision at the time it was big at the time because it wasn't mainstream was to really focus on sustainability as the key element to our work um, and so we're definitely um, been on the the leading edge of sustainability for for quite some time now yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I've been following you guys for a little while on Instagram and stuff like that. It's one of those when I'm finding the more people I talk to, even today, people only really jump on board sustainability when it kind of matches with their passion and what they want to do. Like they don't really 
I mean, everyone talks about cost, but really it's about the passion of what you want to do and how you want to get it done properly, right? Yeah, and so it definitely made it really easy to to continue on and stay here and, and kind of work within this kind of a culture and environment uh, at mm-hmm. CSB that, that it, you know, it's still evolving uh, as yeah. we kind of move through to the next kind of phase of the, of the organization with, with Jesse and I kind of uh, at the leadership role. Uh, but maybe Jesse can talk about when she came in as a, a student as well. <laughs> yeah. So I was a little bit later to the table than Daryl. Um, I think I was here starting in 2007. Um, and I really, it was sort of a random uh, selection. It was close to where I lived at the time, which was nice because it uh, was a bit more walkable for me. Um, but once I started at CSB, what really made me want to stay is the passion for designing for communities, the team environment, the, the focus on, you know, individual employee well-being and families and then also the sustainability and it wasn't something i think that i was ever really passionate about before but i think it's grown as i've been here i do think that i'm a pretty uh pretty minimalist type of person and so sustainability sort of goes hand in hand with minimalism reducing waste reducing energy consumption and just being very efficient with living and that is something that I've always been interested in, but then combining that with sustainable architecture is really just uh, sort of snowballed for me into a, a big part of my passion in architecture. Yeah, I guess I'm really curious back in, I think you mentioned 2008, uh, Daryl, what was sustainable? Or what was the concept of the sustainability back then? Like, it must have been very different than what it is now, right? The idea? Yeah, absolutely. It, one of our uh, business partners, uh, senior founding partners of the firm, Anthony Leaning, actually got his U.S. GBC uh, lead accreditation. He got it at the U.S. because the CAGBC didn't exist yet. So that was like, that's the time frame, right? I think the, the CAGBC was forming in 2007 and 2008. And so he was doing that in kind of 2005, 2006 on some of our projects. And, you know, we were kind of un- starting to understand sustainability and what was uh, at the time just really, it was, a, it was a lot of tough sledding because there wasn't the products available. There weren't the mindset, the idea that, you know, spend a bit more upfront to have long-term savings. So, you know, those, those two budgets never talked to each other, right? So, so those, that was just one of those things where, you know, you know, he was uh, fortunate enough to get some some really good clients early on that kind of understood that. Um, and then when the CAGBC came in, because you know we were already kind of in that, that those uh, tracks already to to and had some experience, we were able to then pick up a few more kind of projects with some kind of forward thinking clients. And and that's the big thing is you have to have the right team at the time that are all thinking the same way. And so yeah, it was at, at that beginning of the the Canadian Green Building Council and. At that moment where the Canadian Green Building Council had been established, we had already done a few sustainable projects. And we said, you know what, this is really what, as architects, we need to do to be responsible. So let's figure this out. And uh, and that's what we've been doing ever since. For me, um, just thinking back to those early years, I think building envelope was always something that we were focused on, the innovation of the building envelope. And uh, I think we were some of the first to actually put continuous insulation on the buildings before that was a requirement of the building code. 
at the time that was innovative. So now we're pushing even beyond that and trying to figure out how we can push the building envelope further and further. Yeah, I remember uh, in the same timeline, 2008, 2009, I was exposed to my first lead project. The paperwork was was kind of fascinating <laughs> in order to get that accreditation involved, but it's it's actually fascinating to see how people don't necessarily talk lead as much more anymore. Like, I think to Jesse's point, now they're more talking about like environmental impact, building envelope. How do we reduce like ongoing consumption of you know electricity and utilities and kind of reduce that kind of carbon footprint as opposed to you know, let's sort out the recycling and the compostable <laughs> from, you know, from, uh, fr- from a project site, right? And just make sure how that's going. So it's kind of interesting that, uh, that kind of evolution. So what I find interesting about that is we, we did so many lead projects up front. We're not seeing as many clients adopting lead now. A lot of it is to do with the onerous paperwork and the costs of the administration of it. But early on, we took all of that stuff that was that lead was promoting with the uh, materials and waste, and we put that into our standard specification. So we have our own internal specifications that we use on all projects. We've created our own uh, sustainable best practices spec section. We have our waste management spec sections, and it's stuff that doesn't cost more, and it's just integrated into all of our projects. So we've taken a lot from those early days of lead and we've incorporated that into projects, into all of our projects. And like you said, now it's really a focus on, um, you know, reduction of carbon, reduction mm-hmm. of energy consumption. And it doesn't really matter which path you go down, which certification path or whether you certify or not. It's really about making that change in the in the design of the building. Yeah, but I certainly think that in those those early days, it was a very key driver to to shift the the industry. It certainly did its own a, a very key part in changing the industry and moving sustainability into you know dialogue. You know, people were starting to talk about it. Well, what is this, and what are we talking about? Well, yeah, some of this really makes sense, and the stuff that didn't make sense kind of fell by the wayside. And, and I think Lead has also uh, recognized that things have evolved, and they they've certainly served that purpose in the industry because they are even looking at low carbon programs now and maybe getting people to focus more on that type of certification than necessarily the more traditional lead certifications. Although there are still some organizations that it's important for them for whatever reason, you know, to, to prove that third party certification is still important, you know, for those projects. And they are still happening. We just had a lead gold project get certified uh, a week and a half ago. So it, yeah. it still happens. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I agree with you. I've not seen as many you know, lead projects out there to price or build. So, but, but I've been noticing, um, especially in talking with, with clients and other, uh, they don't really talk about lead. They, they actually talk about net zero more. Um, do you want, uh, do you either, if you want to share a little bit more about what net zero is, how does that kind of come into play and you know, what are like, what's the desired outcome? I mean, yeah, the term net zero is very confusing because it means yeah. many different things. It's net zero. Is it energy? Is it carbon? Is it uh, embodied energy? Is it on-site energy? Does it include the energy to build the building? Like, depending on how your metric is, that that is, um, it's a very confusing. It's a it's a rabbit hole you can go down and and get uh, get lost in. A lot of the very the the the, the common 
goal right now to make it understandable is once the building is complete, is it net, uh, you know, close to net zero or net positive of energy production on site? So is it is it using less energy than it's actually producing on site? So that's why you're seeing a lot of geothermal. You're seeing uh, solar. Uh, being put onto buildings. There's a, been a couple of great projects uh, in Ontario recently that have, have achieved net uh, net zero energy on site. And so th- those are things. And and a lot of that really ties into um, what kind of came just before net zero became the, the talk was Passive House. And mm-hmm. Passive House, we've certified with the Passive House as well. And that is that is really the first and best first step towards um, getting to net zero is use less energy first. And that's what the Passive House approach is all about. And so there was a, a short stretch where certification in Passive House was important, but then it very quickly moved into let's, let's, we've got, we know this is the right way to go. Let's get towards net zero. And by using less energy first, using really strong performing uh, building envelopes, um, which allows you to then drop the amount of energy they use and in some case eliminate whole mechanical electrical plants. And also heating and cooling is gone. It's all ventilation that is tempered um, in a passive house building. Then, then that gets the economy back into line of having a lot of investment in your, in your envelope, less investment in your mechanical system, just invest in better ventilation. And then you can start to look at on-site energy production within your budget. And then you start getting towards net zero. So it's, it's again, it's an evolution. And one of the things that I know personally I like about um, the, the, you know, the profession of architecture is that I know I'm never going to stop learning because things are always moving and changing and you get to do something different every day. Like I said, for me, like I'm, I really love the concept of, of at least right now, net zero being the gold standard in terms of once it's built, like you said, like, are you, cause that's really what's going to have the largest impact in in, in our world, right? Like on an ongoing basis, are you consuming less electricity or less energy than, um, you know, than you need? Like that's the whole, that's the whole goal. That's the whole idea, right? Um, I'm curious, Jesse, like when you, when you, when I guess CSV took this branch out and uh, I think you mentioned it was kind of a new concept for you. Um, what was the first time, like uh, what kind of, what, what was a, a project that you can recall that you were like, you know what, that I really like this. Like this is kind of, like, you know, I've kind of found something that I'm just, it just that one notch up from your regular passion of what you're doing. Yeah, I think, well, the two projects that stand out for me early on were um, Oxfam. We did their new headquarters building in Ottawa, which um, which was a really important project, um, and the Overbrook Community Centre for the city of Ottawa. So those were two early adopters of LEED. Um, those were two of our earliest projects, the two earliest ones that I worked on. And actually, two of the projects we worked on the most together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, just getting more um, involved. I mean, it really happened very early in my career so that I can't actually imagine not being involved in sustainable projects now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it seems so wrong um, yeah. to not even consider that. Yeah. I mean, I no. think yeah, talking just a little bit about Oxfam and tying it back to um, to kind of the eventual net zero. That wasn't the talk at the time, but um, but the executive director um, of Oxfam basically took stock of how he was running the organization, you know, you know, domestically. But then looking at what they are promoting 
worldwide and what they're trying to do and promote sustainability worldwide and all the projects that they're working on. And he said, well, I've got to, I have to walk the talk. So buying a building, renewing, you know, rejuvenating a building. And this actually the building he took it on and it was giving it its third life is a huge, um, sustainable move, which does impact your embodied energy that you're not building new. And so that is a, from a net zero point of view, that is an also another step towards doing that by taking an existing building and renewing it and making it more sustainable, improving the envelope, improving the windows, and then giving it another life and able to do something else um, with a building that, so this building's now, I think it's gotta be getting close to hundred years old and it's on its third life. And um, you know, that's a, that's a huge step that from a net zero, you know, larger, um, kind of impact that we're going to have to do is look at existing building stock and renew those instead of knocking down and building new. Because we have, I think the, the, the term is generally, um, you know, 50% of the buildings that are going to be around in 2050 already exist. So we need to fix those as well as build better when we build new. Yeah, I, I love that you said that because actually one of my professors from university is mentioning I went to University of Waterloo. So I had him on I had him on the show as well. And because I had, you know, the things that you don't realize that you or you think are not so amazing in university. Like I went back and I started reading some of his uh, <laughs> you know, some of his uh, some of his work. And I I'm fascinated now by what, what he's working on. But when I was in university, I probably was like, no, I don't have time for this. But it was it was it's kind of what you were talking about. It was uh, you know, kind of this concept of building with circular economics and repurposing buildings and trying to figure out ways to build things now. Um in a somewhat modular fashion too, that down the line, if you needed to repurpose something, you can kind of take a piece out, take it to a new location. And he was talking about materials markets. And I was just like, like that, it sounds like the dark web to me. Like it was something, <laughs> something it was like something brand new, but so, but so fascinating that that actually is, is an industry. I think there's a company in Vancouver that started um, Unibuilders, I think they're called. They like for dem demolition, they like deconstruct the whole building into all the parts. And then now they try and salvage those like the brick and this and try to use that on different projects and repurposing it. And I never really thought about that being uh, a part of sustainability. But I think given what you're saying with populations getting dense, uh, being able to deconstruct something and repurpose stuff, I think is, is a huge form of sustainability as well. Another aspect we haven't really touched on too much, but I think um, I got a lot out of with the Oxfam project was uh, occupant health and well-being. And I remember doing all the lead calculations for daylight, you know, access to views. And it was a, just going, taking that organization from office, you know, uh, uh, enclosed offices into a nice, bright, open workspace um, and with, you know, low emissions, um, no, uh, no VOCs in the paint and the furniture, and, um, everything was Green Guard certified. And that was sort of my first introduction to all of that, uh, you know, yeah. document health and well-being. And that's something that has, I think that was something that really stuck with me, like beyond the energy consumption, that, that well-being piece. And we're now seeing with um, the well-building standard, which is something we're uh, we're implementing in several of our projects, and uh, and uh, fit well. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that become more more mainstream as well. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I was, I wanted to know if that has kind of uh, uh, evolved into like the well-certified buildings, because that was something new as well. And I know a few companies that are kind of pushing that on the residential side too, because, you know, the way you sleep and the noise and the air quality of, you know, what we breathe in and stuff is becoming ever more important nowadays with, you know, so many vehicles. I mean, not this last year, not as many vehicles on the road, but in a, nor in a normal sense, right? Yeah, certainly um, uh, well-being and mental health and, and is, a, you know, top of everyone's mind these days. Um, I think it's, you can't, uh, um, you can't avoid uh, thinking about it given everything that, uh, that we've been through. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, um, adding that aspect to, um, to a project while it's being designed is, is important because what we find with the well building standard in particular is it's almost like the merging of that, um, capital cost and operational cost, because a lot of those well building, uh, standard elements actually occur or need to be kind of, uh, implemented after construction is done and once people are, are occupying the space. So there's there's a lot more onus on the people who are going to run the building and working with the people who are occupying or using, depending whether it's a residential or an office space. And so it's, it's putting a little bit more of that thought into the design so that when it is operating, there are those features there and elements there to you know, actually improve the, the well-being of the occupants. And so I think it's a, it's a really good program to blend with um, if you're looking at a, a, you know, a passive house or net zero approach for the, you know, the, the technical side of the building, bring in that occupant well-being with using some elements from the well-building standard and, and kind of taking those together make for really successful projects. I, I, completely, I completely agree because everyone talks about those things now. Um, and is that is that kind of something you guys wanted to do in in terms of uh, not necessarily the well standards, but maybe you guys do look at that too when you come up with you know your sustainability action plans uh, for governments and schools and stuff? Is that something you wanted to you know share with uh, the different municipalities and stuff? Hey, we understand it might be a big burden right now, but maybe you can you know kind of plan it out and it, you do want to share a little bit more about, you know, the sustainability action plans that you guys develop? Well, I think when we're working with, with any, any client, whether it's a public sector um, or a private, private sector, a lot of what we want to do first is, is listen to where their priorities are um, and what it is that, that they want in that project. We, we, that's kind of one of our things is listen first. That's the first stage of design is to listen to who you're who you're designing for and usually often out of, out of that listening we're hearing that you know the staff or the occupants you know that's their priority they want to they want to um you know make uh you know those people comfortable or happy or satisfied um and so it's a really easy sell to then say you know what yeah then if you if they're really your priority and and you care about them these are the types of things you should start be considering to add into your project. And yeah, there may be some impact uh, in the capital costs now, but long term, this is a this is a net, you know, this is a return on investment. Um, and 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 depending on who that that uh, client group is, it it's a it's a similar but often uh, you know different focuses uh, from from different uh, types of organizations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I was just, I was just going to say, I mean, you guys are now pretty much at the 
kind of forefront when it comes to the architect, like sustainability and, and architecture. Uh, but when you guys first started, how, like, what was that process like? Like, did people kind of give you a funny look and they were just like, like, did you need more buy-in? Because I would assume now when people come on board, they already kind of know what you're about. You know what I mean? So, so that, the, like that value system already kind of aligns. Did, did, does that make any sense? But initially, what was that kind of, uh, I guess, education process? Like, I think there were some, some early tough discussions and, and often there was, there was even uh, you know a, a, a really kind of forward-thinking leader at the top of an organization, but maybe some of the the staff that were meant to implement that that vision weren't really quite on board yet. So then it became a little bit tougher once you actually got into the nuts and bolts because you know like well yeah we we want to do this but you know this is my budget and I, and I have to, <laughs> I have to back to my boss and and uh, yeah. so yeah it was it was it, there were some um, some difficult conversations, but then also there were, I think the whole team, and that needs to include the owner as well as the architect and the engineers and the builder all. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's sorry. I, I, I meant to say that off the top the owner client um, group, as well as the consultant group and the builder group, everyone um, has to be kind of pushing the same direction. And, and a lot of the time we do that with, um, you know, facilitating, uh, discussions with everyone, and that, and we even bring in the the eventual occupants or users and get their in, input. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, if it's a, if a, if it's like a working environment, office environment, you know, they're the ones that that actually know what goes on day in and yeah. day out, and they can often give even their own um, their own leadership team some advice as to like this is how the space could could work better for us. And so you get those type of facilitation workshops and charrettes. Um, I was actually in, I was in one last night, uh, at, you know, seven till nine last night in a, in a, in a charrette. And, and that's where, you, you know, it's part of that listening and, and implementing uh, ideas and visions to kind of push those ideas forward. And, and it's, it's, it's surprising how many people now are, are seeing, you know, things like, you know, impact on, on the environment. So sustainability, low energy as a high priority and occupant health and well-being as, as, a, as an equal one. And then everyone's trying to balance that and say it also has to be economically sustainable. So let's balance those three things together and and let's, uh, you know, let's make a successful project. And some things are you're not going to get everything, but let's let's make sure we get a, enough of all of them so that it's a, it's a great project. I think, too, uh, some organizations and um, were, you know, early adopters were a little mm-hmm. more for, forward thinking. They would come to us or, or we would encounter them and, and it was a good fit. Um, but I think um, some government organizations mm-hmm. have really pushed it, um, and that's really helped a lot as well. Um, City of Ottawa adopted LEED very early on, so the majority of our earliest LEED projects were actually for the City of Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And now we're working a lot with um, the City of Kingston, who are pushing yeah. to be one of the most sustainable cities. Oh, wow. Um, in Canada, they're they're, in Canada, you know, eh? they're trying to challenge Vancouver and say, no, no, oh, no, wow. you guys, it's us. So, <laughs> Yeah, they're, yeah. they're pretty. Um, their their green standard that they implement is is uh, is pretty ambitious, and but you have to be in order to yeah. to lead, right? Yeah, yeah. And Jesse, I mean, uh, you know, to build off what Daryl was talking about and bringing all the parties together, um, like how have you seen, uh, you know, the the construction style, the IDPs, where kind of you know the integrated design. Pro- I know it's still fairly new. You know, um, I know there there are a few companies that have been working on it. Uh, how have you guys kind of worked through that? Because it, I think that that kind of 
model of design and construction is would be really beneficial in um, when we're talking about sustainability, starting right from you know the, the the fabricators and the manufacturers right to the very end users, right? Actually, early early on, what was about 2008-2009, we actually brought in a sustainability a sustainability consultant in house. Uh, I think we were maybe the first first like, in Ottawa or uh, in Ontario to bring in a sustainability consultant in house, uh, mainly at that time to administer uh, lead applications. Um, and we actually um, started training contractors in how to do submissions at that time. Um, so we would actually do training on, you know, what's required, um, how to fill out all the forms, um, you know, giving them sort of a bit of a background on everything so that they could properly document as they went along because this was so new for everyone. Um, it's amazing what uh, an invitation to a free pizza lunch yeah. will uh, get somebody's <laughs> attention. <laughs>